the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I am on the air this week for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who, along with Paula, is enjoying their much-deserved, much-needed vacation time. So they have arrived at their destination in California. They are relaxing and enjoying their favorite foods, their favorite time together. Uh, Most of all, they're enjoying their time with Jesus, and that's the prayer request that they ask for the radio listening audience. In the weeks coming up, uh, they have been. Oh, Pastor Ron has been mentioning how much they've been looking forward to this, and their prayer request is that you would just join with them, that they'd hear from the Lord. That's all we want. That's all we care about. Uh, so we did hear back from them, and they're doing very well. They send their love. In the meantime, our show will continue taking your Bible questions. Questions about putting the Bible into practice in your life, how to apply it. Um, That's why we're here, for the sole purpose of helping you to fall deeper in love with our Jesus. So the radio phone numbers are this, 210-340-9585, The toll-free number if you're out of the area is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com, questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. You can submit your question that way, or you can use our church app, whatever is easiest for you. You can also call in if you want to Uh, Use the KSLR app. It's much easier if you're in your car. Just hit the Call Now button at the top, and you'll be connected right to the studio there at the radio station. So today, I said it's already Tuesday. We have nothing scheduled here at the church, but I do have a couple of requests, prayer requests. At the end of our radio show yesterday, I right at the very end, I missed the message of a caller who called for a prayer request. They had just gotten to uh, an accident, and her name was Gloria. And she called uh, hoping for prayer and asking for the radio audience to pray. So I've been praying for her since then. Gloria, if you're listening, uh, I haven't heard from you today. I hope that you're doing well. I've been praying for you all day. Uh, Please call if you can. But uh, to the radio listening audience, if you can keep Gloria in prayer that would be great. Second prayer request is for baby Miriam. I spoke to the father, Matthew. Uh, he's from our church, both Matthew and Michelle. Just asked for prayer for their their baby girl who picked up a little virus, and then she's in the hospital. She's, she's just newly born, precious girl. This is the one that um, I don't know if you were at the church when we showed the picture on a Sunday, but 
Baby Miriam was literally sitting up holding a sign, and it was just the cutest picture uh, of a newborn I've seen. So those two prayer requests for, for Gloria and for Miriam, if you could please keep them in thoughts and prayers, that'd be appreciated. Okay, well, let's go right to the phone lines. Jimmy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, sir. How are you doing? Jimmy, my friend, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. I want to ask you this question. And when the Lord says, live, uh, I give you life and I give you abundant, right? Something like that, right? Yes. I, I, was telling, I was telling my friend, it doesn't mean money. It doesn't mean money. It means that it's abundant life with Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And he said, no, it's about being prosperous. I said, no, it isn't. It's about being um, prosperous with the Holy Spirit and, and, and the um, love of the Spirit. Is that true? You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and so, Jimmy, that, that passage comes from Jesus' statement about him being the good shepherd. I believe it's John chapter 10. But it is, it is nothing to do with material possessions it has nothing to do with being uh, wealthy or, or even being healthy. The abundant life that Jesus says uh, in John chapter 10 was the, the life filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. This is the abundance of God's presence in a person's life. And, and that presence of God is manifested through uh, uh, spiritual blessings, Sometimes it may be material, but primarily what Jesus is talking about here has, is only about a relationship between God and the, the person that God loves. And when a person enters into that love relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's when the Bible calls uh, this person born again. They were spiritually dead, and now through faith in Christ, they are spiritually alive. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that all of the treasures of the heavenly blessings, it's like the, the storehouses of God's blessings in the heavenlies have been poured out onto that person in, in fullest measure. That's the abundant life that Jesus talks about. And that abundant life uh, again, it is more descriptive of the intimacy we have with Jesus, the abundance of his spirit, the power of his spirit working in our lives, producing fruit and affecting the lives of the people around us, Jimmy. So you're spot on. You're absolutely right. And if you look at it in context, it's pretty easy to see nothing in John chapter 10. And that section that Jesus is talking about has anything to do with material blessing. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. He was trying to give me an invest in gold and silver because he says the future is, 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 is the future is um, what do you call it? Unsure. And I said, no, I'm sure because Jesus Christ <laughs> lives in me. And Good for says, you. Oh, he, he will never leave me nor forsake me and my family. So don't you know? Don't I said I am rich because I have the love. Yes, you're absolutely right. You can point your friend to Ephesians chapter 1, where we are, are, are you know, what, what Paul describes, spiritual billionaires in Christ, where he supplies everything that we need. And he, you know, our, our treasure comes from God's storehouse in heaven, which, which isn't necessarily material, but it's the, the, the type of abundance our hearts really need. And, and you can also tell your friend, and Jimmy, this, this is something I see a lot in conversation with people who are professing Christians. They have a, sort of a, a worldly mindset that intellectually believes in Jesus, but, but their faith or their trust and their hope really is in the things of this world. And, and um, I don't know if you were listening this past Sunday, but that's exactly what was going on with the rich young ruler when Pastor Ron was teaching. And, and those are the kind of people that end up being so miserable, so miserable because they have decided to put their trust in the things of this world instead of Jesus. And they find out 
that the things of this world never last. That's why the abundant life that Jesus describes, he doesn't, he doesn't say the abundant blessings, it's the abundant life. The life that's filled with his presence, that's the blessings that he wants to give us. So that, good for you, Jimmy. Good for you. And thanks for your call. Okay, let's go back to our questions. We've got the next question here submitted. Uh, it's from Nina. I heard my pastor talking about Paul being sent out with Barnabas to do work. He then connected it to Jesus saying he is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I could not understand the connection, so can you please explain? Well, yes, Nina, I can. Uh, I, I don't know who it is you're talking about or, or what the sermon was, but just reading the context of what you've put together here, uh, I, I believe here in Acts chapter 13, where the first missionary sending off really is with Paul and Barnabas being sent out to share the gospel message. They weren't sent out to do you know, work for people or to do physical labor, though that was part of it. But their primary goal in being sent out is to spread the gospel message, to spread the hope of Jesus Christ that the pagan areas, the pagan people and the Gentile uh, people of the surrounding area in Asia and Asia Minor would get saved. That was the work that they were sent out to do by the church there in Antioch, Pisidia. And so from that, you say that the pastor connected it to Jesus, saying he is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Actually, uh, so then Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth. Yes, Jesus is the light of the world and he is, that's one of the seven I am's in John's gospel. But in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus very clearly says that, that those who put their faith in him, we, we carry his light. We are the light in this dark world, and we are the salt of the earth. And what does that mean, and how does that relate to Acts chapter 13? Well, when Paul and Barnabas were sent out, they were light in this dark world. And they carried with them, not their own light, but the light of Jesus Christ. And if you will, you know, you think about walking into a dark room. When you walk into a dark room and you, you know, you use your phone for a flashlight or you turn a flashlight on, well, that light becomes the brightest thing, the only bright thing in that dark room. And that, that light starts to illuminate the things that are around. So light shines brightest in the dark. When Paul and Barnabas went out into a uh, pagan world, it was dark. And they brought the light of Jesus to them. Now, the salt of the earth, Jesus used this in the same, I think in the next verse in Matthew chapter 6, describing uh, the message of the, 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 the people were bringing out. So it's, salt, remember, was a preservative. It would, it would really have two functions, two major functions. It was a preservative, um, and it would also act as a, as a, a flavor, a flavor enhancer. And in the context here of Paul being sent out, Jesus would send us out to, to be preservatives, uh, or to help people come to know him, that their lives would be preserved. Because uh, as in the same way that food would decay, remember, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers in this time. So they would use salt. Salt on the meat would act as a preservative. And it would extend the life. Well, Figuratively, sin is a terminal disease that all of us have. And when we come into contact with Jesus, 
then we become the salt of the earth. We share that same salt, if you will, that we get from Jesus to others, that their lives would be preserved from sin. And so I, I think that's the connection there your pastor was talking about. I, I wasn't there, and I don't know the, the complete context, but based on the information you know, that you provided, uh, that's the best that I can do. I hope that that helps. Next question is from Alex. Alex says, I'm a new believer who recently lost someone who was very close to me. She was a believer also, so I know that she's with Jesus. But sometimes I find my grief inconsolable. Why can't I stop crying? Alex, this is a very important question. It's important because all of us go through really hard days. All of us do, and none of us are immune to that, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. And grief is a fact of life. At some point in time, each one of us are going to deal with it through somebody we know, somebody close to us. But what Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul is that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. When he was writing to the Thessalonians, and the context there was about those who had passed away, and they were worried. They were, the, the Thessalonians were worried that they might have missed out on, on the rapture and that they would miss out on being with Jesus. And so they were grieving. They were sad. And then so as Paul would explain to them, no, don't worry about that. We want you to be informed. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have passed away. That's what Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And he says, I want you to be informed so that you won't grieve like those who don't have any hope. We have our hope in Jesus Christ. And though our physical bodies eventually give up, and lest the Lord comes, each one of our bodies will, some faster than others, will give up. But the real you, the real us, doesn't die Our bodies give up and die. But we go to be with Jesus. Now, specific to your question here, Alex, you said you're a new believer and you lost someone very close to you. That's very difficult and very painful. But Jesus wants to help you. And what you have to remember is this. The Bible describes a healthy way to grieve. Because Grieving is a normal, or healthy grieving, is a normal part of the way we process death. But if we do it like those who have no hope, we become inconsolable. So since you're a believer, what you do, Alex, is you turn your eyes to Jesus. Now, crying is completely normal. You don't want to bottle it up. But you want to cry with Jesus and let him cry with you. We grieve with those who are grieving and, and we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And Jesus is right there with you. So you don't have to try to stop crying. Now, you have to be controlled by the Spirit. So you're not going to act erratic and you're not going to act crazy because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So when you're with Jesus, he will console you. He will comfort you with the comfort that only he can provide. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 describes that kind of comfort that only comes from him. So, Alex, I I hope that helps. Okay, let's go right to our phone lines. Uh, Josh and line one in Converse, you're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ken. Can you hear me? Hi, Josh. Yeah, yes, I can hear you just fine. Okay. 
Uh, we've got a question. Um, I was kind of daydreaming about the thousand-year millennial reign with Christ, and what will it look like um, <clears throat> as far as, from my understanding, we won't be walking by faith no longer, but more like uh, walking by sight, and um, what will the role of faith, uh, so to speak, have in the millennial reign? Um, and that, yeah, that's a question. I'll, I'll listen to you off the, on the air. Okay. Great question, Josh. So before I get right into the details of your question, you know, one of the things about the, the thousand year, and it is a literal thousand year reign, we learn from Revelation 19 and 20, Revelation 20, this is a thousand year reign, a millennial reign, where Jesus is uh, on the throne and he rules with an iron scepter. And, and, uh, and so during that time, the world will be completely different. And so, yes, those of us who are believers now will be in some form or fashion serving with Jesus in, in glorified bodies. Now, specific to your question here, the, uh, the object of faith or what is the, the purpose of faith, since we will walk by sight, uh, doesn't preclude, though, that we no longer walk by faith because the object of our faith is now right before us. You remember when uh, Paul would describe in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that when he was a child, he would think like a child, but when he became a man, he put his childish ways behind him. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror, but, but then we shall see him face to face. And when we look at at Jesus face to face, it doesn't uh, diminish our faith. It it be, our faith becomes full, and so we don't we don't go away with faith. Now the way we we operate in faith today will be different than it will be in in heaven. But it doesn't mean that just because Jesus is there and we're looking at him face to face that we no longer operate in faith. It just simply means this, Josh, that the the object of our faith is going to be there with us face to face. And our faith is going to, still going to be in him, not on ourselves. It's interesting, though, because the, the specifics of the millennial reign or the, the, the thousand-year reign and the millennial period uh, are scattered Throughout the the Old Testament, there's there's parts of Isaiah where he describes what the lion and the lamb will be like, and and we get pictures from Ezekiel of what it'll be like, but but nothing uh, definitive, uh, nothing that describes literally what it's going to be like, and so God intentionally leaves a lot of this uh, sort of unknown for us to figure out until we get there. But what we do have is his word. And I like the way you think, Josh, because you're taking the word of God and you're, you're putting it into practice, at least in your thought life, to imagine what it'll be like. But I think that's one of the beautiful things about the anticipation of heaven. We don't know all the details. You know, we read that the streets will be lined with the gold, but, you know, what does that look like? What is that like? And, and does it mean we're going to be walking on gold? Well, you know, I'm not so sure. But these pictures and, and, and the descriptions and the, the metaphors used to describe them, sometimes they, maybe they're literal, maybe they're not, but it, it's descriptive of an environment where Jesus is present. And I think here from what I read from 1 Corinthians 13, we take away this, that we will be with him face-to-face. We will be there with him, face-to-face. What Peter writes is the goal of our salvation 
being with Jesus. And, and that becomes paramount. That becomes at the forefront of our thoughts when we try to visualize sort of the details of what it'll be like. But yes, faith will still play a role, but the object of our faith, Josh, is going to be right there in front of us. So thank you for your question, Josh. And and let me just elaborate on this a little bit more. We're coming up here to the, the end of this break. I don't have time to take another question. But we need to have a healthy anticipation of Jesus coming for his bride, for us. There is no prophecy left that needs to be fulfilled in, before the rapture takes place. And I can't wait. And I can tell a lot of you can't wait. Josh, I can tell you can't wait. And that's the attitude we need to have. How then shall we live? Well, with hopeful anticipation of his imminent return, we live today as if it's our last. Still making plans for the future in case he tarries. You can hear the music. That means we are wrapping up the first half of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and if you're just tuning in, I'm filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who, along with his beautiful bride, Paula, are currently enjoying their vacation. So that means for this week, I will be filling in for for Pastor Ron on the show. And the show continues as usual. We're here to take your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus, what you believe and why you believe it. With this one goal in mind, we really want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus And like my wife always says at the end of the the radio listening program, the recorded programs, uh, she says, fall in love with your Bible and you will fall in love with Jesus. We promise. That's why we teach the Word of God here. So if you've got questions, let me give you the phone numbers. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email address, if you'd like to submit your questions that way, is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. Dot com. Okay, let's go right into our questions that have been submitted. While I give you those phone numbers, we'll wait for your calls. The next question is from Justine. She says, I read in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, and I'd like to know, What are the limits of applying this to our lives as Christians? Okay, so I won't read the whole passage, but I'll read the first two here in 1 Corinthians 9, and I think this sets the context, and then we'll talk about this. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So, Justine, what we have here is really Paul opening up his heart, and his heart is for people to get saved 
And what he's saying here specifically is that winning people to Christ was more important to him than clinging on to any personal freedom that he would have enjoyed for himself. Because in that parenthetical in verse 20, he says, though I myself am not under the law, he recognizes that as a born-again Christian, he has been freed from the law. But he also sees his friends who are still bound by the law. So he doesn't make himself or submit himself to the law again for salvation. But what he does is he he thinks like them so that he can communicate with them in a way that would make them understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Now, Paul wasn't giving up his salvation and he was not going back to legalism, Justine. That's important to understand here. And I think this is, this is so applicable for us as believers. So many Christians, we fight for our rights. We, we fight for, uh, we stand up for what we believe we are entitled to. And we won't let anyone take away from our rights to do this or to do that. While all that may be true, I think Paul's example here is very important for us because what he does is he says, I don't care about my rights. I am secure in my relationship with Jesus. So secure that what anybody says or what anybody does is not going to bind me to any law because I'm under the law of grace. But because winning people to Jesus Christ is more important than anything else, I'll go to a place where I can communicate with them. I'll be at a place to where I can reach them and they can understand me. And there's two examples that come to mind here. Remember in Acts chapter 23, when Paul there in dealing with uh, some of the Jews that were in Jerusalem, he he participated in the purification ceremony along with some of these Jews. Now, obviously, Paul didn't have to do this. But for the Jews, this would be a ritual required under Jewish law. But he did it anyways. Why? Was he subjecting himself back into the law? No, he understood with complete confidence that he was free from the law. But what he was doing was establishing a way to win people, the Jews, in this case, to Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, Timothy was already a grown adult at this time. And, you know, a decision to be circumcised as an adult is is a major decision. But since Timothy was half-Jewish, Paul recognized that Timothy could have been a stumbling block, a hindrance to the Jews. And so, not because it was required to, but because he wanted nothing to hinder their effectiveness in winning the Jews to Christ, Timothy got circumcised. And, and I think this is important for us, like I'd already mentioned, but I want to reiterate, the, the, the translation or the practical application of this passage, Justine, is so important for us today because so many Christians, real Christians, have an unhealthy fixation on their rights. Now, I understand we live in a country where every person has rights, and, 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 and that's something that nobody can take away from us. But in our relationship with Jesus Christ, which comes first before anything else, we don't have to worry about rights being taken away because whatever freedoms we have in Christ, we get to, as a privilege, we get to lay them aside 
as we're led by the Spirit for the sole purpose of winning people to Christ. And I think, in my opinion, Justine, there is no greater demonstration of freedom in Christ than that. Freedom in Christ is not exercising your rights. Freedom in Christ is laying down your rights for the sole purpose of people getting saved. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. So, you know, it also brings to memory, you know, how Paul would always, the Apostle Paul would always go into or go to the places where the people were at. You know, in Philippi, when, when there was no synagogue there, he went to the river where the people were gathered. Uh, but by and large, what Paul would do is, is aim for or find the nearest synagogue in the city. If there were at least 10 Jews there, there was likely a synagogue. And Paul knew that the synagogue would be the place where he could share the hope of Jesus Christ to people who think the way he used to think. And when he would walk into the synagogue, this would be the place where the religious Jews were. He he didn't feel like he was backsliding or, or, or sinning because he was doing or being, he was in a place to where he used to go. But he's a brand new creation in Christ. And he lays his rights aside. He knows that he's not under the law. And he goes to share Jesus with whoever would listen. Justine, we need to do the same thing. So, freedom in Christ, again, is not about exercising your rights. It's about laying down your rights. That's what Paul is talking about here. So thank you for your question, Justine. Let us go to the next question from Layla. I think I am being called to teach the Bible. I I do understand I cannot be a pastor because I'm a woman. But is it okay or permitted for me to teach the Bible verse by verse to kids or adults in a church setting? A good question, Layla. So it, it depends. And now let me explain. The gift of teaching, specifically the gift of teaching the Bible, is a wonderful gift, is a wonderful gift. And whenever God gives that gift, the gift of teaching the Bible is intended to be used so that people could, so that people could hear the Word of God being taught. This is the type of gift that needs people or that, that people would benefit from uh, in a group setting, sometimes bigger groups, sometimes smaller groups. But teaching the Bible is a spiritual gift. So God bless you, Layla, for recognizing that and, and for understanding uh, that the Second Timothy, or that the Timothy passage describes Paul saying that the man is the head of the church and that women can't be pastors. But to answer your question here, is it okay for me to teach the Bible verse by verse to kids or adults in a church setting, I said depends because uh, you wouldn't teach the Bible in a a place of authority like the pastor. But using the gift of teaching, not only is it allowed or permitted, but you've got to use it in the right environment at church to the kids or to the other ladies and to, 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 to these groups that uh, you can use your gift. Again, not in an authoritative sense, like from the pulpit on a Sunday as the pastor would. That would be to occupy the place of authority which Paul reserves for the man. But it doesn't mean your gift is any less important. It's equally important. It's just a different environment. So yes, Layla, use your gift to teach the Word of God to as many kids as you can, uh, to whatever lady, ladies group you can, um, but in a like a Sunday church setting, 
from a place of authority? No, no. But that doesn't make it any less important. So God bless you, Layla, for recognizing that. Uh, let's see. Oh, we, line one, Jimmy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Yes, sir. I just want to pray for my son, Christian. Christian Benavides. Jimmy. Hello. Okay. I'm here. What's it go? Yes, Jimmy, I'm right here. What's going on? You don't have to give me well, too much details, but how can I pray for him? Well, he, he uh, you know, we've been, my wife and I have been praying for him, and he finally left his girlfriend. He's not living with her anymore, and he's come back to Christ, and it just seems like everything's coming to, uh, down on him. But I said, you know, I sure. told don't give up. You know, God is with you. And, uh, oh. you know, he has a child with her and everything. He takes care of the child, and um, they take turns, but he doesn't live with her anymore because he knew it wasn't right. The Holy Spirit touched okay. his heart. Well, this is a but, good but, thing. It's but, it's a painful thing. Go ahead, Jimmy. Because he's he needs a job and and, and he's just trying to he's trying really hard and everything. So sure. uh, I just you know. One quick thing, and then I'll pray for for Christian Jimmy. You being there for Christian is is more important than 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 I can emphasize. But he needs to learn to lean on Jesus in these difficult times. And so when you are there for him, your prayer is that his eyes would be cast upwards. Yes, you'll be there to help answer questions. Yes, you'll be around to to provide support. But your goal, your, 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 your purpose is to point him to Jesus. And I know that's your heart, Jimmy. So God bless you for that. And so let me let me pray for, for Christian now. Father, I want to lift up Christian and, and many others listening to this radio audience right now. There are other sons and other daughters going through something similar. But Christian has taken a stand for righteousness. It sounds like his heart has turned back to you. He's repented of his sin and he recognizes, Lord, that he doesn't want to compromise anymore. He wants to experience the fullness of your blessings, and that means owning his sin, and that's exactly what he's doing. And as a result, Lord, things have gotten harder. They may get even harder, but but I'm praying, Lord, that Christian, in this most desperate time of need, he would look to you, that his hope would be in you, and because he loves this child and because uh, he loves this girl, and Lord, by demonstrating the example of going to you alone, no matter what happens, Lord, I pray that her heart would follow suit. But in the meantime, comfort Christian. Give him your strength. Let him know how proud you are of him for taking a stand in righteousness and make opportunity, Lord. We pray for opportunity for Christian to, to find a job, to, to have his needs met. But most of all, Lord, that he would find his hope in you and in you alone. And I pray, Lord, he would find a church that... Uh, a Bible-teaching church that would uh, teach the Word of God to him, give him opportunities to use his gifts so that he could walk and grow in his newfound faith. Thank you, Lord, for, for Christian taking this stand for righteousness. Thank you for him risking everything because he knows he's wrong. Now, God, please bless him and fill him with your spirit. And Jimmy also, in Jesus' name, amen. Jimmy, thank you for letting us know. We will keep Christian in our prayers, and and you have our number here at the church since you come to church here. If there's anything we can do to help, don't hesitate, okay? Thank you for your call, Jimmy. Anonymous is our next question. Anonymous says... I've heard the saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. 
I want my home to be tidy, but my spouse has so many things. <laughs> I try not to complain too much, but he knows it bothers me. Is it a sin to have a messy home? Uh, okay, so a couple of things here, Anonymous. Uh, I think the most important thing here in your question is not the home. It's, it's the marriage. And, and you, you use a couple of words here that, that indicate a disconnect between the two, between you and your spouse. And that needs to be addressed first. Um, so you and your spouse need to talk about this. And what I would tell you is, is not to talk about the mess in the house first, but you need to talk about uh, uh, agreeing to agree with Jesus. The husband's opinion doesn't matter. The wife's opinion doesn't matter. Only Jesus' opinion matters. And I'm assuming that both of you are believers. I don't know if that's the case here, Anonymous. But you need to get together with your spouse and say, can we talk? And, and you need to talk about, um, open up your Bible and talk about what the Bible says about being in one accord, the two becoming one. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, and review the roles of a husband and wife, both equal but distinct within the marriage construct. And through that, work through things in your home, like a messy house. So that's first and foremost, Anonymous. Now, uh, specific to your statement about, you've heard the saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. I love that saying. I love that saying, but it's not in the Bible. There's, there's no verse that says cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, I, I love it because I don't, really like mess. Uh, I, um, here at the church, I have a, let's just call it a reputation of, of, of cleaning up. And, uh, you know, because we are so close here, <laughs> everybody at church, we're like family. Well, you know, sometimes family likes to leave things lingering. You know, the lost and found sometimes becomes a lost in store storage place and people just feel comfortable leaving things around like they're at home. Well, in the same way, I wouldn't want a messy home. I, I got to take care of the place here and I don't want a messy place. And so uh, we'll get rid of it because we can't be messy. We don't want people coming into a messy church. Now in your home, uh, I think it's the same idea. Um, even if it's not in the Bible, personally, it's a great idea to have clean hygiene and to have a clean home. And when you and your spouse get on the same page about this, uh, start working together to, to, to organize the house in a way that, that honors the Lord. What that looks like is going to be different for every home. But it's not about what, what, what she thinks or what he thinks and, and my stuff and your stuff over here and you're crossing the line. It's not like that. It's how can we use our house to honor the Lord so that when people come in, uh, Jesus is glorified. And one of the things that I, I think about, even if I said it's not in the Bible, the cleanliness is next to godliness. The concept, though, of, of washing hands and, and having clean hands is definitely biblical. Remember the Jews would, uh, in a ritualistic way, wash their hands to symbolize sort of a, a cleaning. They, they can't be unclean as they approach the Lord. And I think David, the psalmist, he describes this perfectly in Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, I think the context here is them they're about to approach, or David is about to approach the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And, and David writes, um, a cl clean hands and a pure heart is what I want. 
And so uh, with that in mind, David, yes, he's talking about clean hands, but he's more, more, his emphasis is more on the heart. And that's what's more important. We need pure hearts, clean hearts, before we can approach the Lord. And, and a clean heart will lead to taking care of yourself and it'll lead to taking care of your home. So is it sin to have a, a messy home? The Bible doesn't say that it is explicitly. However, not taking care of yourself, not taking care of your home or having a mess around the house, it could be sort of an outward indication of something that's dirty inside. There could be something going on inside. And so if that's the case, then there might be sin that's undealt with. Sometimes it manifests itself in ways that we may not realize, but it doesn't mean that having a, a messy house is is sin. But if it's a continual habit, um, then, and especially if there are rules in the house and somebody is breaking the rules regularly, well, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong, whether it's the kids or whether it's your spouse or whether it's people that, that, that visit your home. It could be an indication of something on the outward indicating something wrong with the inward, and that would be a dirty heart that needs to repent. So I hope that helps Anonymous. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are wrapping up the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back 4 o'clock tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.